Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. I think the question is, how are you? Yeah, uh, I, I'm. I'm a little bit apprehensive. Oh, come on! I'm not. I'm not going to bite. No, not apprehensive oh. about the podcast. And how, why okay. would I be apprehensive about the podcast? Ben? <laughs> I have no. Well, no, I mean, first thing. I first thing I call you, and you're saying I'm apprehensive. It makes me apprehensive. Oh, I'm sorry. We, I, we have we have mutual apprehensiveness. Well, my my source of apprehension is, of course, not you. This conversation is one of the things I look forward to most each week. Um, instead, it is the fact that I am going under the knife tomorrow morning. Oh, thank goodness! You're only going under. Oh, sorry. That that, that was a little selfish of me. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not apprehension for me it's just a knife oh, yeah uh, that's I, a relief i that's the first time i've got that reaction when i've told anybody that um but no i'm I am, i'm joking obviously i, I yes. know you're joking of course um i am also yeah a little bit nervous but the show must go on so here we are um, uh, what's, I, what's going? If you don't mind me asking, what's, what's oh yeah, going on? it's it's sinus issues. Um, I I've spent a lot of my life swimming, and actually, a few years back, someone was swimming on the wrong side of the lane, and both of us were swimming quite quickly, and it broke my nose. Plus, I've just had ongoing sinus issues, and I've been putting off getting it fixed, and it got to the point where it needed to be done. So it's one of these things where. Uh, it's uh, you kind of walk into a hospital and you're feeling you. You're, I mean, it, it, there's this nuisance factor that gets greater or lesser, but right now it's not that bad. And uh, it's this weird feeling of walking into a hospital as a, a relatively healthy and kind of perfectly functioning human being, uh, though you might dispute that. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and knowing that you're going to come out the other side uh, feeling like crap. So that's the source of the apprehension. Um, but yeah, uh, in the long run, I'm, I'm hoping it will be worth it. Well, uh, to be clear, uh, I am also apprehension, but for your sake, not because of you. Uh, but I, 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 I trust that it will go well. So um, needless to say, we will probably not record next week unless you have some sort of miracle recovery. Uh, it's uh, possible, but, but I think that's that's probably likely. I, I will sound like I have a cold from hell is my guess for the next couple of weeks. Uh, well, I, I hope it goes well and, uh, best wishes to you. And I'm sure I speak for our entire audience, uh, wishing you, wishing you best wishes. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Cool. Well, uh, last week we, we started talking about the echo kind of detoured into Apple and Chromecast and all Mm -hmm. over the place and ended up with, uh, me going on a little rant about Amazon. And I kind of mentioned at the time that I'd been, I'd written, uh, especially in the daily update, a lot of pieces uh, about the different pieces of Amazon. Mm. Uh, I wrote about this idea of Prime being kind of a Costco type model. Uh, last fall, I also wrote about the logistics angle. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I I need to uh, bundle these all together because I th- what, what I think that's almost the more interesting factor is there's a there's a symmetry to these efforts. Mm. Uh, if you if you look at it in a certain way. And what's really interesting is if you back up, that symmetry is a reflection of Amazon itself. This idea of a company that is very like services oriented, where they're revealing parts of the company almost as like an API. And like you can go to this team to get that and it's very well documented and, and this allowing it to scale almost like kind of infinitely horizontally and this scale not only benefiting Amazon – but also 
benefiting third parties, which in return benefits Amazon. Because as we've talked about, any sort of horizontal business model, the more people that are leveraging, you get the more, mm. like the more you spread out your fixed costs. And this is the sort of thing that they're doing. Uh, certainly, AWS is the most obvious example. But if you if you kind of twist their e-commerce model and kind of turn it sideways. It's actually the same sort of model where they have this fulfillment center that is exposed not just to Amazon but also mm. to all these third parties. Uh, and and you also have – and now they're going into logistics and you can only – it's very easy to see how it might play out and be a, a like another mm. – a third area where they, they, they have this dominant sort of scale advantage. It's a, It was a fantastic piece and your um – your, uh, I'm, I want to quote the the uh, the Star Wars line: "Your conversion to the dark side, but really your conversion to an Amazon bull is complete." And I, I must confess, as I read it, you took me with you. Um, it's just so fascinating. Like everything you said, absolutely holds true. Uh, what, what you just described, completely agree. What's so interesting is how they, as they build these extra components out, they use existing parts of the business almost as the mechanism to uh, start to see these new businesses and and they kind of get a bit of scale through serving themselves and then they start exposing it to the rest of the world. And it's it starts off in an integrated fashion and then goes modular. And it's, it, yeah, uh, it's just fascinating. Yeah, so what's so interesting is when Amazon started, so I went back and uh, as part of this article, I kind of reread a bit of The Everything Store, which is excellent, Brad Stone's mm. book about kind of Amazon. And- it, it, there's no, and you go back and read like the famous letter to shareholders, 1997, that they reprint every year. It's kind of weighing out their principles and you go back and read that. And none, none of this is there, mm. right? This, like this vision of like AWS was not in the original vision. An e-commerce model as it is today was not in the vision. It was a, it was an e-commerce company. Like, and, and there was the idea of, you know, starting with books, having the infinite, like the, the, the benefit of the internet for e-commerce has always been, you can get the lowest possible price with the greatest selection. You kind of have this, you, you, you know, you can do mm -hmm. things you can't do uh, in, in regular retail and books was such a great place to start in part because there's so many books in the world. They're, you, they're relatively easy to get. They're easily cataloged and tracked. They're all kind of the same size. Uh, and they also had margin. They had margin to play with and they started out being, uh, and, and you think about what an e-commerce company is going to be, what a retailer is. How does a retailer make money? They charge a margin on top of whatever good they're selling. Right. And, and that's how Amazon started. But the thing that Amazon what did have from the very beginning that they were super focused on, and this is in that letter to shareholders, is this idea of scale. The idea that their differentiation and their long-term profit potential comes from scale. And so they will, they're they're not going to take profits. They're gonna drive in expanding the marketplace, and market leadership is the most important thing. And Yes, Amazon's famous for their focus on the consumer, but I would say the driving component of Amazon, and you can see it in these services, and you can go back if you go back and look how they started and look at that share, that letter to shareholders. Mm. Yes, the customer comes up, but you cannot escape the the focus on scale, like scale, 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 scale. And that has been at the core of the company from the very beginning. And so what's happening here is, and so, yes, what happened was that e-commerce business, to your point, ended up being the perfect like ignition switch mm -hmm. for the, all these different services, right? So the 
because they had the big e-commerce site, that's why they could build something so expensive like AWS because they already had a massive customer themselves. Right. I, I yeah. It's I I think it would have been. I mean, it's uh. So you mentioned going back and AWS and all these other pieces uh weren't part of the original idea. But and I mean, obviously, it would have taken a visionary of extraordinary nature to lay out the a successful business stretching twenty years out in front. I almost think in its own way, the the model that Bezos built is the genius of the whole thing. Um, Absolutely. Like, it, it, like on one hand, you can have genius in terms of vision, in terms of this is how it's all going to work out. But it, on the other hand, almost building an organism that's self-learning and self-correcting and that sticks its finger in the fire phone. Oh, God, I did it again. It sticks its finger in the phones and um, realizes this isn't going to work and then drops it, but then tries these other things and, and they realizes it works and keeps going and is able to keep spinning these things up and using what it's already doing it serves itself as its first customer to to like integrate and figure out what it needs and um can cross those organizational boundaries it's not trying to sell to other people and then nail it and then then kind of open it up to the world it's just ingenious it it is genius but uh, it's that's kind of a cultural aspect and let's make no mistake that's super duper important Mm. but something that i've I haven't talked about as much recently, but we definitely have in the in, in the past is organizational structure and how a company is organized. Mm. And in the the main context we talked about this is Apple and the idea that Apple has the single P and L mm. and it's very it's very unitary. And and you know Steven Sanofsky has has a saying you know that you that or you ship your organizational structure. Mm. And and that's there's there's a there's a lot of wisdom in that. And for sure, Apple, and I can tell you this, you know, from, from the time, you know, at, at Apple University is something that they spent a lot of time thinking about how the organizational structure of Apple and the way teams are organized and the idea of there being only one P&L and how that plays out into shipping integrated products that, uh, that focus on the user experience with the profit kind of being a trailing sort of focus and no question Apple cares, but it's in the, in the, in the, in the order of priorities, this is this, this, what's interesting here is you're seeing the same thing with, with Amazon. There's a, there's this really, um, every, all, everyone talks about how they hate. So actually here's something super interesting. One of the most famous or surprising things I saw at Apple mm. was I was going through some like training things or whatever. I don't remember. And remember, I'm just an intern. So I mean, this was part of the busy work sort of stuff. Hmm. And I came across this thing about meetings. And the first sentence was, we love meetings. I'm like, what? You know, because the whole, the whole thing is meetings are terrible. They're a bad thing, blah, 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 blah. And basically what the point it was trying to make was uh, it's like the it was it was getting at that integration idea that it's super important that we have all these pieces that work together and there's tension built into the way we're organized and we want to have these knockdown drag out meetings where we get the best idea and we make mm. sure stuff works together and get this sort of, and how that builds toward the product and it was really counterintuitive but this idea that meetings were were a great thing so meetings were also a topic in uh, – there's this anecdote or this – it talks about it in the Everything Store uh, where not – Jeff Bezos was not only against meetings, but he said that communication was a sign of failure. 
I, I might be slightly paraphrasing it, but that was basically what he said. And basically what he was saying was uh, communication is friction that is a, that is a mm. signal that the interface between different teams is not is not worked out. It, like there's rough edges here. And that's, for example, Amazon is very famous for their here, – here, here, I'm going to just si- brief sidetrack. Mm. Amazon is famous for not using PowerPoints in their meetings. Mm. You have to write out a six-page – it's limited to six pages – Word document about what the meeting is about. And the reason Bezos does this, and I actually love this idea. If I ever had a company, I would totally adopt it as much as people hate it. Uh, the reason he does it is because, like, you can, he's like, the details hide between the bullet points. Mm. And if you have to actually type it out, you have to think through the details. And, and it was, the, this is the same sort of, this is what he meant by the communication is a breakdown. Like, if it's not clear how two teams work together, and you have to have a meeting to resolve it, that means actually you failed up front to define what your team does, how people should work with you, and that's an opportunity to improve that. And the goal should be no meetings. The goal should be that it's obvious how you work with different teams or standard interfaces to interact, mm-hmm. this sort of thing. So you take that idea, this idea there's like these individual units that ought to have these clean interfaces together, and you fast forward 12 years, that's what AWS is. Mm. AWS is taking all these servers and components, all sort of stuff, and exposing them as these, what they call them primitives, that like there's a compute, there's a storage, there's a database, and they have standard interfaces. And that's and any team can walk up to them and use them and leverage them. There doesn't need to be a communication. What happened basically is Amazon had all these had all these different teams, but they had one like big tech team. And it was a big bottleneck for the company, like spinning up resources, allocating resources, all this sort of stuff. And that's how AWS came about. Well, once you have this clean interface, then you can extend it seamlessly out, out to developers and so on and so forth. Anyhow, I'm going on and on, but the, what's interesting here is it's the same thing as Apple, but the exact opposite. Yeah. In that they shipped... AWS is in many respects shipping the organizational structure of Amazon and it, it all and it, 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 it's the same is what Apple does, but it's just the exact opposite model could not be more different. It's such a beautiful illustration of the point. Um, <laughs> and it, it's uh, you're right, they're exact opposites and that's what's um, it, it's it's fascinating to me because it speaks exactly to the types of products that they want to ship. Um, the integration modularity thing, it, uh, if your focus is on providing services to the rest of the world, then of course you're going to uh, – of course, you're going to view meetings and interactions between teams that have to take place as face to face as um, uh, as a, a bottleneck or as friction that needs to be eliminated. Because if you are going to take that service that you've then developed for the team, and your goal is to ship it to the rest of the world, you have completely eliminated the scalable nature of it. Um, and so for Amazon, it makes perfect sense. But then you think about the types of products that Apple wants to ship. And rather than providing services to the world, they want to provide these beautifully integrated devices that ship out the door. And it, it it's not about uh, the, the, the nature of the product and the difference, the product versus the service and uh, like the distinction between what they're selling is so perfectly represented in, in, in those anecdotes. And they're opposites, but they're both appropriate for the types of things that they're, they're trying to build and ship out to the world. And this gets at the point that that we, I mean, we both make again and again, we still get pushback on this all the time. Like, why is it that Apple uh, 
like this, what we we suggest that Apple will struggle and does struggle with services, mm-hmm. and on vice versa, why the Fire Phone was such a disaster. And this is what it comes back to: if you have a cult, this is this is why culture matters. Like if you have an organizational structure and a culture that is predicated on on like massaging through the details. Like that's not how web services like that's not mm. how web services work, right? And on the flip side, if you have this thing where you have everything is standardized and squared off, you're not going to get the 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 ex, like the experience of a device is between the bullet points in many mm. respects, right? right? It's 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 that sort of unarticulated aspect of delight and experience that that's the whole reason why people tend to not value it, right? We've talked about this. You can't put like you can't put delight in the spreadsheet, but it matters. Neither, that's why neither model is right nor wrong. This is why it, it, what matters is that your model, your structure, the, your organization, the way you think is aligned with your product and by extension is aligned with your business model and, and how you make money. I, it's interesting because in the same way, it's a bottleneck for Amazon um, I, I've read that it's a bottleneck for Apple that they have this centralized web services team that all the requests have to go through and and it, it just slows everything down. They can't get stuff done. They can't get things spun up. It's this very slow process. And it's so- Oh man, it, 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 oh, it's terrible. I mean, it, it's, apparently it's better than it used to be, but like back in the day, like- you like every team had to like spin up their own thing from scratch. I mean, because like in secrecy was a part of it because right. you, there was no like standard building block. So you go to Google or you go to Amazon and they have like all this infrastructure. So if you want to build something, all the, there's building blocks that are all there. Whereas at, at Apple, at least of a few years ago, I, I heard it's gotten better, but at least a, a, a few years ago, you were, you had to start from scratch every single time. Right, and and the the nature of their approaches to to those problems, uh, the the product company is like, okay, fine, and the services company is like, oh wow, what happens if we solve this for ourselves? And if we can solve it for ourselves, I wonder how many other people have that problem, and I wonder if we can ship it to them. And it, in a sense, it's almost kind of, it's like maybe that revelation has kind of fueled. Amazon's approach, like, and now they're thinking about doing it with logistics. It's crazy how they've leveraged this incredible retail experience and starting with an incredible book experience, they're leveraging it into area and area and area. Like, like if like just what's required to ship products out to people or the web services or the logistics. And it's, it's crazy to think where else they might take it. Yeah, I mean, Amazon's not really – Amazon is less and less a, a traditional what you would think of an e- e-commerce site, actually. Uh, just uh, – just the, Amazon only sells directly a little over 50% of mm. stuff through Amazon.com now. The the rest is shipped or is sold by third-party merchants, at which most of it is fulfilled by Amazon, so it feels seamless because they stock it in Amazon's warehouses and Amazon packages and ships it, so it's covered by Prime. But it's actually sold by a third party, and and more. And the the trend is is very is relatively steep. That this is being more and more. It's not fifty percent yet. It will be soon. And in the long run, Amazon is almost just a storefront and a fulfillment service. And all all that middle part, everyone complains about. Oh, Amazon is you know e e-commerce or retails hard, low margin, blah blah blah. Amazon is over time letting everyone else take over that part, <laughs> and they're just providing all the infrastructure around it. And 
to the AWS point, skimming off a percentage. There's whether that that percentage be the percentage they take from the third party merchants or also Prime, where I mean, from from every customer, and it's the same thing with AWS. Where in the long run, the 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 logic of AWS is so compelling in cloud services generally. Uh, we, and we talk about companies that have left it and why. The, the, that's not a counterpoint, um, but and they take a percentage in, in the long run. They're taking a percentage of all of all the internet. It's um, you know the old saying about if you're in a gold rush, the best thing to be doing is not mining for gold, but selling pickaxes to the miners. Exactly. Yep. These guys are the ultimate example. These guys they have they have leveraged one little uh, area of gold, which is basically selling books, into becoming like the largest. Uh, retailer or, 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 or uh, manufacturer and wholesaler and seller of pickaxes to, to basically the internet. It's nuts, right? And 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 this piece then, yeah, and that that part, that e-commerce part, like bootstraps all these other massively yeah. complex businesses. There was there was this. Uh, uh, it was so funny. There was this. I, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, this quote um, from I think it was in the Seattle Times. Basically, the, the FedEx CEO was asked if they were worried about Amazon. It's like, oh no, we're you know, no, we're not worried. This takes a lot of complexity and billions of dollars to replicate something like this. It's uh-huh. like <laughs> that's, uh-huh. that's sounds like the exact sort of market that Amazon's very interested in. Uh, and you know, yes, it's the 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 whole logistics thing is interesting because what's interesting the FedEx and UPS and the existing uh, logistics providers kind of a challenge was they were never designed for e-commerce. Mm-hmm. They were they've always been focused on on businesses and 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 speed and. So they've kind of retrofitted to support e-commerce, particularly UPS. UPS was the closest. They were kind of already sort of integrated and they were used to handling parcels. And so they've they've built on the e-commerce part, but the delivering small packages to residential neighborhoods is not what they were originally set up or designed to do. And it's not where they make most of their money. Amazon provides a lot of volume, but the actual revenue it provides is relatively small because it's all this low margin stuff. Uh, what's interesting about Amazon is you can, it's very easy to, envision them designing a, a logistics system from scratch mm. that is built with e-commerce assumptions from the ground up and in the long run absolutely being much more efficient and faster and better than the the services that exist and the other thing, the other thing I've mentioned I mentioned this in the daily update but <laughs> there's this persistent myth that AWS started as Amazon selling excess c- capacity which is ridiculous because what happens the next time they need that capacity? Are they going to kick everyone off? Uh, you know, it, no, yeah. they, they built this primitive system, not primitive, primitives uh, sort of system that scaled not just to Amazon but, but, but beyond. But it's interesting. You're seeing, you're seeing a similar thing with the logistics stories. Everyone's like, oh, Amazon is building out logistics capability to avoid like Christmas 2013 when they had capacity and, and they're going to they're gonna, – it's just for excess capacity. That makes no sense. What Amazon's going to rent planes so they can use them two months a year? No, of course not. There. So, do you know how the power grid works? Uh, I, ha- I have a, a uh, the the grid or how peak and uh, peak and regular energy. Yeah, like yeah. So basically, there's different kinds of power plants, right? There's there, there's ones that are like base power plants, like nuclear yeah. are the most famous. So you can't turn off a nuclear power plant. I mean, you can, but it takes like years, right? So that runs all the time and it provides a steady level of electricity. And, and so that's like baseline. And there's different, there's different designs that are focused on like baseline electricity. The problem is electricity because it's either you either use it or it's gone, right? Unless Mm. battery technology comes a long way, but 
So when there's peak demand, there are other kinds of power plants that are meant to spin up quickly and provide mm-hmm. power. And then once the peak is over, the power plant basically turns off. Mm. And and that is certainly how Amazon is approaching logistics, in, at least in the short to medium term. They're building a baseline capability that will you know that will handle stuff that always needs to be done. And they're basically going to turn UPS and FedEx into these short-term power plants that they use as needed, and which is great for Amazon and terrible for UPS and FedEx because that's the most inefficient sort of business model possible. You have to have uh, capital equipment that you've invested in that's only used some of the time. That's, that's not a great place to be. The, the the crazy thing about it is just because of the sheer volume of of um, the sheer volume of packages that they're delivering they know they're going to have a reliable like probably a pr- very predictable amount that they're going to ship uh, they they can slowly build it out it's uh, it's uh, they figure it out on a smaller scale and then gradually get bigger and bigger and then you're absolutely right you turn these guys into uh, into peak logistics, and it, it becomes it becomes massively inefficient uh, to to maintain these existing networks where you've been, especially if you've been delivering all these packages for them up until this point. And I, I, I your point earlier about how if you rethink this, if you rethink a logistics network for e-commerce, and because this is low margin stuff, and they start from scratch with. Uh, again, resetting all the assumptions, uh, whiteboarding, uh, clean slating them all. Um, you build it up from there and you're able to do this efficiently and effectively. You've got to wonder how long it is before they keep moving up market and get into the more sophisticated stuff where, that, that UPS and FedEx would consider their, their core where, where it's most profitable, right? Of course. I mean, the, the, it's a, I mean, it's hard it's very easy to see what they're doing. And again, what makes it critical is they have already have critical mass. They already have scale because their first and best customer will be themselves. Right. And the, and and so they can build up this capability. And the other thing is because they're so big, it's not like FedEx or UPS can turn around and tell Amazon, screw you. You're going to compete with us. We'll just stop serving you. They can't do that. They're, they're captive, right? It's a monopsony situation where Amazon – provide like they've especially UPS has built out so much capacity to support Amazon that like they're they're going to be left holding the bag in the long run I, mean, I would not want to be UPS I can tell you that for sure uh you've uh you've converted me f- into an Amazon bull and also a UPS bear because I think you're exactly right it, like when your largest customer decides to turn around and compete with you uh particularly if they are the largest uh, customer out there in the market, you are uh, you are uh, sooner or later, and probably more sooner than later, going to be in serious serious trouble. Yeah, I think there's, and I think there's a few things that that go into this. I mean, in general, uh, so uh, it's easy to say, well. The, the logic of there being separate logistics providers is, is is kind of a clear one because logistics is a classic example of an industry that benefits from scale. Mm. You want to be the logistics provider for everyone because you have these massive fixed costs. You have capacity that's moving around the world that is that – is, um, what's the word? Like it, once it's gone, it's gone. Um, I can't – it's like electricity, right? Like once that plane takes off, it's either full of cargo or it's half full of cargo or whatever. Um Oh, what's the word? You know, when stuff just like expires, someone, someone will tell us, I'm sure. And so it's a classic industry where you want to have the, the maximum number of customers and you want to have kind of consolidation in, in the middle. That's going to be the most efficient way to do it. And so you can say, well, why, why should Amazon, you know, 
mess with that. It makes sense to leverage that. In fact, this is the logic of AWS, why most companies should use AWS. It doesn't make sense to build out your own data center when instead you can effectively uh, collaborate with companies all over the world to get benefits of scale that you would never be able to get on your own. And Amazon is providing that as a service. And and because they can get that scale, there's so much, there's such a difference between what, what they can write and can't. But on the flip side, I come back to to a few things. One, there's this, I, I really, these logistics networks were not designed for e-commerce. So yeah. there's like design, custom designing it for Amazon's needs. Two, Amazon is so big that that it's different than someone with like 10% market share trying to do it. Like when they're, when it said like two years ago, there's a report, like they're like a third of packages and like UPS trucks, right? I'm sure that's higher now. And, and like, so there, there, there's so much volume there already to start. But then three, like Amazon kind of deserves the benefit of the doubt at this point. Like you can understand the argument why they should have logistics be a third service, but they've demonstrated this ability to, to build out these scalable services that not only help the bottom line, but also help the top line in the long run. And that's, and so the contrast I draw is to Dropbox. So Dropbox this week uh, has announced they built their own data center uh, and they're getting off of AWS. And this, this is understandable. Like Dropbox is a classic, like Dropbox needs more storage than anybody else or than the, uh, any but a handful of companies in the world. Mm. And certainly once you get big enough, you know, the, the economics of building your, like Amazon is collecting some sort of margin. If you can keep that margin internal, like that makes sense. One, two, uh, you know, the bigger you are, the less you need the, the flexibility of going up and down. That's a big mm. benefit of AWS because you can spin up stuff and spin it down. You don't have to do these capital costs. But if, if, if you, if the vast majority of your usage is static, like, like you said with e-commerce, right? If you have a, st- a number of packages that are moving around and not changing, then it makes more sense to build out as opposed to if it's variable, then it, it makes sense. And also they can custom build their hardware to fit perfectly their usage cases. So I can understand uh, the logic for them doing it. Right. The concern I have though, well, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, I think I was about to, well, I mean, it's certainly not the same as AWS where I'm sure they're envisaging, um, they're envisaging taking this service, being the first customer and then competing with AWS. Oh, right? no, no, this no. Is, it's very, yeah. No, it's very different. Yeah. They, yeah. Cause the a big part of the benefit is they can custom build all this right. stuff to serve them, which one gives them better, you know, theoretically gives better performance and two also improves cost savings even more because you're getting more efficient use out of your hardware. Like when you introduce some, the level of abstraction that AWS necessarily has, like, and you, and like there, there's going to be abstraction is lossy. Like you, you're going to lose some degree of efficiency as opposed to custom building something specifically for one use case. The issue is that I don't think really Amazon, uh, Dropbox should be focusing on the cost side, right? That's exactly it. I mean, in the long run, you can in the in the in, in the long run, Dropbox as a company obviously should build their own data centers. Like they are the exception that proves the rule for all the reasons I just said. The problem right now is Dropbox. It's not clear what their top line, what's driving their top line, right? Like the the they have to fix their selling to business problem because like. The, Dropbox's technology has never been the problem. Dropbox's technology is awesome. It's such a great product. It's so well done, but that's unfortunately not enough. And and it, and like this, this is the the hidden benefit of of 
AWS and these sorts in any sort of service that if you sketch it out on paper, it seems expensive. Well, there's a few things. One, often it's cheaper, but especially at the beginning, and you get the advantage of variable costs instead of fixed costs. So mm. you know it scales with you. Yes, if you get really big, it's more expensive than building it yourself. But fixed costs are hard, especially when you're when when you're a small company. Right. Two, there's the benefit of flexibility, as we just talked about. You can ramp up and ramp down. Right. You don't need to put in a ton of capital costs to handle peaks. That's a great. But the the third advantage, the third advantage that is so hard to capture in a spreadsheet, is the advantage is the compare idea of compare. A comparative advantage. Mm-hmm. Like AWS frees you to focus on what really matters for your business and just and and it lets you focus. And, and you don't how do you to, put a dollar sorry. sign on that? Right. No, I, I was gonna say it's like you you if you're starting a restaurant, you don't want to have to go and build the building first. I mean, there are some people who want to build some crazy restaurant, but a majority of the people out there just want I'm an entrepreneur and not the high growth entrepreneur, just a regular one. I just want to build a restaurant. I don't want to have to build the damn thing from scratch. Just let me focus on the things that I care about. And AWS is that for for um, entrepreneurs, right? Well, I think well, what's interesting is I, I I think this in general is such a, is such a interesting opportunity. So uh, I mean, it's something that I think a lot about. You know, given that I'm a one person sort of business and a one person business that whose main product takes a lot of time and takes a lot of like mental cycles frankly mm. right i the last thing i need is to dink around with 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 stuff so i remember i actually had so for example i use a a, web, a hosted web service like mm. called w, wp engine it's which is okay um <laughs> but i i have the pluses and minuses but the basically it's it's Instead of having a server, it was like ten bucks a month or twenty dollars a month, whatever. They have um, they host WordPress for you, and they take care of all the updates and anything that goes down. They're responsible and that sort of thing. And it's way more expensive. Like I could give Instructor's traffic, which is decent, but if I ran on like DigitalOcean or Linode or something, I could probably fifty bucks or something. I'm paying like five hundred bucks, and which sounds ridiculous, except for all like. To take, you don't have, yeah. I don't have to. I, I don't have to worry about it. And all it takes is one thing going wrong or anything, and I'm out way more than four hundred fifty. The four hundred fifty dollar difference. And yes, this is every month. I'm paying a four hundred fifty dollar premium, but that premium. Well, it's not just not having to deal with stuff. It's not. It's not having to even have it be on my mind that I can focus and do what actually drives the top line for me, which is delivering consistent, differentiated content. And then letting, like, it's just so easy to fall into the trap of, wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I, I, I feel like you've touched on the services version of the old argument about uh, Macs versus PCs, where like the PC the PC folks, and if this is what you want, this is great. Like infinite customization, I can do all, all I want. Like I can put in the graphics card I want. And if you're gaming or whatever, that's fantastic. And then the folks, and they just, they, they would look at, folks who were buying a Mac and say, why are you spending all this money on this computer? And it was this notion that it's like one neck to strangle. Like you never have people pointing the finger at each other or you're never responsible for fixing it yourself. You could take it into an Apple store and someone would help you. And and like that kind of peace of mind of it just being one neck to strangle and someone taking care of it all for you, that's worth a hell of a lot of money. 
No, I a- absolutely. And I think the, the another product that I've been really excited and in, and I mean that I use is is Stripe, and yeah. a few um a, a few weeks ago. And so, well, here's another example. Like Stripe charges, uh, I don't know, some like three point five percent or something like that uh, for every credit card. And I could get a merchant account and get like slightly lower rates, um, but then I'd have like I'd have to have a merchant account. I have to deal with it and like the various issues and. There's you like it's so again it's so easy to get caught into nickel nickeling and diming and lose sight of the bigger picture that it's not just about the bottom line it's also about the top line and then you also get the benefit of scale like Stripe can build out uh, capabilities that are interesting for me that there's that like I wouldn't necessarily uh, build out I definitely wouldn't build on my own. A bit I can take advantage of because they're building it at scale. They're building it for, for for lots of different people. And then a few weeks ago, they have this thing called Atlas, basically yeah. allowing uh, entrepreneurs around the world to, through a simple process, incorporate in the U.S. and have all the, you know, open a bank account, all sort of stuff. Which is which is uh, well, one, it's awesome because I can, as someone who's abroad and had to do all this sort of stuff and fly back to the U.S. to do it, and I'm a U.S. citizen, so it's easier for me than a non-citizen. Uh, is is fantastic, but you can see a path here to them being not just a payment processor, but handling your whole back end administrative sort of stuff. And yes, is, will that be more expensive than doing it yourself? Well, yes, but you're not doing it yourself, and you it, that's so valuable. It's this is I feel like the perfect articulation of um, uh, of the value of a differentiated experience, but also it's a f- fantastic uh, illustration of how like the two real strategies are like do do it like the 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 low cost approach or the super high end differentiation, and how kind of falling in the middle doesn't make a lot of sense because there are either I mean I, I guess it there there are shades of gray in some of these areas, but I feel like these two examples it's like you you give me something that's great and you take it completely off my mind and I'm willing to pay a 10x premium or I'm happy to deal with it myself it's like no big deal and I, I'm looking for just cheap 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 you know it's 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 like the two ends of the spectrum well that's that's part of it but the other part of it is is kind of from the you know there's the whole talk before about the um like the long tail and 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 being in the head and all sort of stuff and that's another way to look at this kind of the 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 jungle thing like the the jungle Companies are the ones that are the 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 front of the exponential curve, and they're huge. And then there's this long tail that's that's way out there. And what's interesting about a, a, a company like Stripe, certainly Stripe wants to serve companies in in the the head of it too. But by building out these services, it's almost what value might there be in being the back end office for small businesses. All, all over the world, effectively. Uh, I think another company doing this is, is Medium. I think this is. I think this is the way to think about what Medium is doing. Is uh, yes, there will be the big sites that publish on their own, and maybe some who's very prolific. Um, you know, will, will have their own site. But what if you can have a site that collects all the other writing on the internet, and then uh, kind of bundles it together. And the idea of like having a back end, having a CMS, having a place to write, all this sort of stuff, like for for you and I to both have a blog, we're duplicating a ton of effort, mm. right? And, and this is almost like the new, like, yes, the internet allows you to be more individuals, but I, there's this opportunity to scale on the back end. And uh, frankly, if if I came along and, and Medium had, had, you know, and medium existed and 
took care of all these sort of backend services, that's something that I'd have I'd have to think about because all it just that takes stuff. It off your mind. Like, so there. I, th- I think I said this on a podcast like a, a year ago. I remember some people were, were amused by it, but you, you're never you. No one gets rich by saving money. Uh, in my estimation, <laughs> this is my philosophy. You know, you get rich by making a lot of money. And it's kind of like the VC sort of, we talked about this, the VC mindset last week, right? You don't think about the downside because the downside is capped at zero. What you're looking for is infinite upside and the one big hit that takes care of everything. And I think this is something that, like, the... the don't you can get so focused on the bottom line sometimes that you lose sight of at the end of the day what's going to make or break your business is the top line. And yes, I'm not saying you should be pr- profligate and waste money and whatever. The bottom line does matter, but at the end of the day, what drives growth is the top line. Right? No, it, it makes total sense, and it's a good illustration of it. I, I have to say, I mean, people talk about have always talked about like Apple acquiring Dropbox, um, and, and I've always thought you know I, I understood why Dropbox didn't. But I've always kind of wished it made such the reason it's such a great fit is Dropbox is I feel like Dropbox is a consumer company at heart. Like mm. Drew Houston is is a is a great engineer that clearly understands and values the experience. The problem is consumers aren't gonna pay for storage. Like so th- th- it's almost like they have a, a mismatch between what they care about and value and the markets that they serve. And that's always been at the core, I think, of Dropbox's struggle is this kind of they have the demeanor and culture of a consumer company, but they have no choice but to compete in an enterprise market. It, it, it's They are so complementary in that sense in that it almost feels like the perfect, they've built this perfect consumer cloud uh, culture where they're worried about like the performance and everything being just so, and everything is delightful. Like it feels like the consumer cloud version of Apple using their services, but you're exactly right. Like nobody wants to pay for that, but I, I guess what people are happy to pay for. Hardware. Exactly. Uh, no, I know it, it, that's, that's the part that it's not just the Dropbox service. It's that it's, it's so that it's that mindset. It's like, right. what does it mean to create a consumer version of cloud, a, a, a user experience centric version of cloud services? Like, if there's any company that's close to that, it's Dropbox by by a mile, in my estimation. And it's that culture that I would love to see Apple buy. Not you know, not the product. The, the, well, the product is nice, but it's the, to have that sort of culture. And now, in this in this respect, the fact that Dropbox. What they did is impressive. Like, what? Let's be clear. Like, building out their own data centers with their own hardware that's tuned to their needs. Like, from a capability perspective, it's incredibly impressive. And 500 million users is impressive. Like, I'm not dumping on the company at all. Uh, it, it's it's just I I'm not sure how where the business model is, how much is turning out. It's interesting they mentioned how many signups. They never say how many business accounts they have which the silence is deafening. Um, but almost more than ever, it's like, man, these two companies, like when, when are you, when are you going to finally? Right. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I, the history is long. I mean, the other thing is just the products that they've, um, the products that they've uh, put out and had to put down, like the, um, the mailbox. And then was it carousel? Carousel. With yeah. that, like they are, they are like the perfect match. And I mean, I know there's been this dance over time where, uh, Jobs wanted to meet Houston and uh, like was making overtures and then kind of put in the uh, the old uh, 
the the jobs put down as only jobs can that you're a feature not a product um and it seemed that uh, when when dropbox was riding high on on the uh like with the valuations that perhaps it made the right decision but it's also it it feels like they might be coming down the other side and it might be that they're more open to it i i, I think you're right I, I think it's a it's a you're right it's not the product it's the culture that's so valuable and that apple could benefit so much from yeah, and Jobs was right from the consumer market. And that was always Dropbox's problem. I mean, the, the data retention and storage is a product on the business side, uh, and and that's always been Dropbox's problem is they, their their capabilities around like user permissions and data retention and all these sort of esoteric requirements. Mm-hmm. Like that's the difference between Dropbox and Box. Box was focused on that from from the beginning, and their product was built to match. And uh, Dropbox still has product limitations in the business market. It's not just a s- hiring a sales team. It's like there are still fundamental features of Dropbox relative to other solutions that just the way it's architected, it, 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 it's hard. It's hard. To, it's hard to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I know this is one that everyone's speculated for ages. But it's it, it's uh, it, it's definitely one that that I, makes a lot of sense. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I always get nervous when podcasts start or, or people. I know, on the I know, start I know. Like, oh, these guys should buy that. These guys should buy that. But I like it's not just about the product. I think the point about the culture and the business model fit, like I, I, the rationale behind the curtain, as opposed to just saying, oh, wouldn't it be cool you buy this company? Like Apple's like got this culture and a business model around building these great hardware products. They, have, they haven't got a competency in the cloud. And there's this consumer company that's been built to do exactly that, but hasn't figured out the business model, is trying to go after business as opposed to like looking potentially for a partner where those two things would fit together perfectly. Um, right. And if they, and I just, they should buy them and leave them totally separate, right? Yeah. Leave them up in San Francisco, don't integrate them. Like, yes. Disney Pixar style. You just leave it out there, do its thing. Maybe you put in requests, like these are the kinds of things we'd like, but you definitely don't mingle the people because you, you risk every, the, the valuable part of what you bought if you do that. Exactly, exactly. Um, so there's one other company that that fits this. Um, I, I'm very interested in this model. And again, part of it is personal, but I'm very interested in this model of kind of service companies for for small and medium-sized businesses, for lack of a better term, it, which could scale to large businesses. And so Amazon fits here where they do all the infrastructure stuff. And so I think we mentioned a few podcasts ago, like they've not only have they transformed the like the startup market, it's so much easier to get started. They've actually transformed like the real estate market. What's a reason why these companies can all be in San Francisco? Because they don't need right. to have servers in their in their offices anymore, right? Uh, right. I, I think I've told this story about the guy I met in Chicago who who does who's in construction and he retrofits offices. And the biggest part of every job is repurposing old server rooms that have all this right. air conditioning and venting because no one has services on servers on premise anymore. It's all in the mm-hmm. cloud. Uh, and so this idea is they they do it as a service. They expose these things, and then people. You know, yes, you pay more if you look at it very, very narrowly, but all the benefits you get out, outweigh that. The focus benefits, the scalability benefits, the flexibility benefits, so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, Stripe, the same thing at the back end. So the other company that 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 potentially fits here and uh, is WeWork. So in case listeners aren't familiar, WeWork is uh, one of the most valuable comp- startups in the world. Uh, they uh, basically provide office space, and you can. They buy, or they sorry, they le- they sign long term leases 
They then remodel the space to make it very attractive, very open, couches, there's always beer on tap, individual offices. And then they rent it out on a per desk basis, on a per office basis, on this sort of thing. And so uh, they were they raised money at a $10 billion valuation last summer, at which time I wrote an article like, because everyone's like, oh, this makes no sense. And I wrote an article saying, well, this is how it might make sense. I, I wasn't totally convinced, but I felt I felt better when last week they raised money at a sixteen billion dollar valuation. Uh, what's what's your what's your take on this? Yeah, it's so. Uh, you said they make attractive offices. It, it's almost underselling it. So one of my very good friends, who is based in San Francisco, is starting up an uh, an app company uh, with grand ambitions, and he got himself some space up there. And I went and visited. And it, it's not just it's not just attractive offices. If you think about the the your, your mental image of the coolest startup offices that you could possibly imagine, that's what it felt like being inside the WeWork space. It it really felt like that. It it felt so compelling that that I was like, God, I, I I wish I had an office in here. This is super cool, and it gives people a sense of community. Like these single entrepreneurs, they 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 have a space where they can work and keep secure documents and take calls. But they, there are these big common areas where they can go out and they they get to know the people who are beside them and so on. And it, it just felt like. So, so this is a very anecdotal, like I'm starting with an anecdote and just trying to paint the picture of what it's like to walk inside one of these things. And I found it compelling to the point where it's like, you know, if I was trying to do this and I would seriously consider, I would seriously consider wanting to take space out. It's just like one of these things that in the same way that AWS and Stripe seem like such obvious things, like in retrospect, everybody had that pain and someone's come along and solved it so well that you're willing to pay a premium for it. Uh, it's the same thing with WeWork around office space. You're a small company. It's The office space is very fungible. If these guys grow, they can take more space or perhaps they move out when that it no longer makes sense. It, it just, it seems like, uh, it seems like just the way the world should work. Um, I am going to hesitate to get into the business of, um, of, uh, 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 speculating or picking on valuations. That's not a game that I'm very good at, but I agree with your assessment um, I mean, of how this could work. Um, it's, well, the well, same, the, it's the, the same value, notion. The, no, I, so I, I agree. I think it's, it's obvious that there's, that they're super compelling. Um, I, I guess the, I guess the, you know, the reason why the valuation does matter is um, there's a few things that are going on here. So first there's questions around the, Let's leave off the valuation for a second. But a big question around the business is this model of they leased they they sign like ten or thirty year leases, mm. and the tenants are on month to month leases basically, mm. and that there's this timing mismatch and this concern that if there's a recession or a slowdown, they're going to lose all their customers and and they're going to be stuck with these leases right. and and feel the pain. And everyone points to a company called Regis that uh, built out. Uh, after the dot com bubble went bankrupt, uh, and I, I mean, does that concern you? I mean, it 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 would re- it, it would be reason to concern me. Yes, like there's an argument and a reasonable argument to be made that this is 
that this is uh, uh, some part of that valuation is being fueled by all the venture capital money that's been flowing freely and maybe that taps that spigot starting to turn off. On the other hand, the point about the arbitrage between uh, there are these massive spaces that are 10 or 30 year leases and there are these small companies that are looking for month to month. Solving that problem, like taking those big things and making them more granular and making the market more liquid, like there's got to be a lot of value in that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't quite get the – this is the timing mismatch is the number one criticism of WeWork. And I'm I'm not convinced it's as big as problem as people think it is. And there's a few things in this. So first off, people point to Regis going bankrupt. That was the U.S. subsidiary that they had just bought. And they're like, and so you just buy a company. It's not fully integrated in the way you're doing it. The Regis U.K. subsidiary – the core business was fine through the dot-com bubble. And obviously it probably wasn't as big an impact in the UK. I wasn't there. Um, uh, but, but I'm not, I'm not sure how much of a data point this is, especially since Regis did went through the 2008 recession. Um, fine. I mean, yes, they, I think their profits were down a little bit, but they were still profitable and they made it through without a particular problem. And, and they're ramping up as well. And I agree. There's something very compelling about, about there's a big hole in the market between working from home, which kind of sucks to be honest, um, and and having like a, a assigned lease for an office space that that, that you remodeled. Like it, there's this middle ground here, and it's getting to the points that I talked about before with with, with this is a middle ground that AWS filled. Right, you can start up an online service as a one person or two person or five person team. You don't have to go buy servers. You don't have to go buy do all this all this stuff, right? And not only that, but the, you can scale with it. And in some respects, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just not sure that the, this is as big a problem as people. And you'll see in a recession when people lose their jobs, like, yes, maybe they'll just work from home or work for whatever. I could also see them just renting a desk at WeWork. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's funny that it's painted as a timing mismatch when I almost feel that the that the 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 thing that's most powerful about the model is the fact that there is a timing mismatch uh, between right. small businesses and like big tenants or, or landlords. And basically these guys are, are creating a market to solve that problem by breaking down the units into much smaller granular things that these little startups can bite off. They can't bite off a floor of a building, but they can bite off a little office inside a building. And what's more, they want to because the space is so compelling. Right. No, totally. And, and and you can and what's interesting here, and I think this is why WeWork is interesting, is they've talked about doing this, but you could see a you start with providing office space, and yes, they talk about the community and that sort of stuff. And it's fuzzy, but I can tell you as someone who works by himself, I would like I would be delighted if there was a WeWork space uh, you know, in, in Taipei just to be around people. Like it's actually it's it's nice sometimes. But also providing like it's like the kind of the benefits sort of thing we talked about. Like then you can provide like maybe insurance offerings right. or uh, transportation or like there's all sorts of like ancillary things where you're kind of an infrastructure provider from a physical sense for a business. And you take care of all those sorts of things, just like Amazon takes care of all the virtual things. And the benefit of one, yes, you can start with variable costs at a fixed cost, super valuable. Two, you can you can have the flexibility to grow and shrink, also valuable. Mm -hmm. But three, what time do you most need to focus on your comparative advantage than when you're 
than when you're small. Like that, like you're not going to compete with a company, an incumbent by having a superior office space or superior HR team or like all this, like all the backend sort of stuff, right? Your advantage is your nimbleness and focus and a comp and I'm excited I, about companies that enable that. I would, fr- I would frame it slightly differently. You don't want to be spending your time on this stuff because the office space isn't the critical component. But if you can find great office space and, and, and environment, I, I feel that just as you described yourself, environment does matter. And if you can find, if A, you can take it off your mental plate, B, you can get into an environment that makes people just perform two or 5% better. Like the sum of those two things, just like you described with your hosted service versus doing it yourself, like the, the, the benefits that provides in terms of just like the added performance and the reduced mental clutter that's worth paying for no absolutely and this is and what's the points you made are interesting because this is where it gets to the valuation question so regis is worth four billion dollars on the public markets and they have like it's, it's either four times or ten times i don't have it in front of me like but they have way more space than than we work does. We work has like 25 locations. Regis has like 2000 locations and people are like, how can you be worth four times a company that's by the public markets is a quarter as much and has way more space than, than you do. Like, and, and you look at real estate companies and it's just way out of whack. And, and I, and well, there's a few parts that I, I understand that, but man, it's sure like how many times have we talked about, the value of this sort of stuff that doesn't go on a spreadsheet. Like really how much, how much value does come from having a genuinely nice space? How much value comes from the fact I can go on the WeWork website and I can see immediately how much a desk is going to cost me a location. And Regis wants me to submit my email so they can call me. And I like classic enterprise sales. Like how much, uh, how much is that sort of stuff worth? Uh, it, it, again, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, this is the this is the kind of stuff that when you're uh, <laughs> it's it's like the what where we started with that the Apple thing you can work it out in a meeting versus the Amazon thing where it's just communicated across it's like it's like it like the the value of that is hidden in the in between the bullet points just as you said back then I I, I think it's I think it's worth something that kind of gets to the next point like there so there's some sort of value here and then it, it, it and it sounds trivial to copy that, but it's, it's, it's not trivial at all. Like Regis, uh, does Regis have it? It it is a 15 or 20 year old organization that's done things a certain way. Do they have it in them to create a WeWork type space? I, I, I think it's a lot trickier than just knocking down some walls and throwing in some couches and a beer tap, right? Right. There's, I mean, it's it's this it's the same thing. Like from a feature perspective, if you look at an and I'm bringing it back to Apple a lot today, but if you look at an Android phone and you look at an iPhone, it may actually be that the Android the Android outperforms on a number of axes. But there are a certain set of customers that really want that experience and they're willing to pay for it. And in the same way that you're um, carrying around the phone all day, if if you're in the the business for looking at, for space. With your team, this is a space that you could be spending 12, 14, 16 hours a day in if you're in one of these startups that are really crunching. And there is definitely value to that space being something that you look forward to go to versus like, uh, we're in the office again, you know? 
Yeah, well, not just that, but also companies that for the remote workers providing it providing as a feature. I agree, but within the, but then the other thing you get is AWS. You can see how it scales, mm. right? There's benefit from like this is naturally going to shake out to only being a couple players. I mean, it's basically Amazon, Microsoft, and Google is trying to get in the game right now, mm. right? And and Google. And, Google especially probably they're bringing to bear. They already have huge scale because they're their first and best customer. Mm. It's a similar sort of thing. The, does but can a physical product like and literally there's nothing more immobile than an office space, right? Mm. We've already talked about Apple can scale to a degree, but once you're dealing with physical goods, kind of your scaling ability is capped. Uh, to what extent can a we were yeah, so let's grant that. A WeWork space relative to a Regis space is is worth four times as much. Great, uh, but can WeWork? What benefits do they get? Can they scale that to justify this valuation? Why can't a new startup mm-hmm. in Taipei build an office space that's just as good as WeWork? They don't have the Regis background or a corporate background. They and it's, it's fantastic. Like, what's why should we work? Why should we presume we work will dominate the space to the extent that justifies a sixteen billion dollar valuation? Right. So, so the scale that they're getting, uh, unlike in the digital world, uh, it, which uh, the scale that they're getting isn't providing them with a defensible moat beyond. Like, it's giving them a brand, and everyone knows them, and maybe they learn how to uh, create these buildings more efficiently. But like the the nature of the scale. Uh, this the the moat isn't scalable enough that it's preventing new entrants from coming in and doing exactly the same thing, right? And particularly in new in new locations, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's a, that's a totally fair point. Well, it's interesting because this kind of gets to the this gets to the this was the criticism of Uber too, um, and and I if there if there is if there is a if there is a story uh, or a potential here and. The big realization for me, I think, with, with Uber is this idea that it's driven by the demand side, not by the supply side, and that and that that supply side uh, is driven by brand. I think, especially in the U.S., more than it is other places. This is a. I was actually talking with someone. Um, in, whereas in China, it tends to be different. China is is much more price sensitive. Um, I think than the U.S. Uh, but in the U.S., anyway, I, I argue there's a benefit to brand and, and habits and people aren't going to want to look around unless you get a reason to, as we talked about last week with the Lyft thing, which by the way, right. we, we heard that we heard people verifying your anecdote. Uh, heard, yeah. Heard from, which heard from, was interesting, right? Yeah, no, it, it's interesting. So, so the real question is, I think th- is, but still, does that still matter here? And you talked about the brand, like the big advantage we work would have in a new city relative to another one is their, low customer acquisition costs in that people know what WeWork is. And if you are in a city and you're looking for something, how many people their first response is going to be or their first thought is going to be WeWork? And what does that mean? WeWork can open up a space and immediately have it full and have a waiting list and versus someone else starting from scratch. You have to get the word out and you have to spread it. I can I could see it. I can see it. And, and especially if WeWork is just so good at this and then they have all these services on top of it. So there's a benefit to being for WeWork beyond just a nice office space. I guess what I'm saying is I get the skepticism. This is probably the hardest one to wrap my head around is can it scale and is low customer acquisition cost based on brand a a enough? But um but, but I guess I, the, I, lo- I love the, sorry, go ahead. 
No, it's just one of these things where, again, like the the if if someone else does figure out how to do this, I feel like these communities of people, like startups, startup folks, they're online. They talk to each other, and I'm uh, like, maybe it's one of these things where people just default to WeWork, or maybe uh, people start talking about the fact that oh, this is you know I've used WeWork Space and I went to this other player. Uh, it was just as good, and and maybe they find some way of doing something better. Right, it's cheaper, it was, and it's cheaper. Well. It's like, and these guys, yeah, you want you. Uh, I know what you said. You like when you're when you're out to make money, you focus on the top line. But particularly when you're scaling and you are not at profitability, and or maybe you're in a uh, in an adverse funding climate, as I'd argue we might be in now for all but the best. Um, you're actually sensitive to these things, and it, 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 if you can get something that's almost as good as as but substantially cheaper then yeah that that might be compelling enough to switch over yeah so i i i again this week when i wrote about it i, I made a defense of it but at the end i, I couldn't quite buy, buy buy in on it i think it's uh if i were a vc i could see buying in in a speculative like maybe they'll make it but like if i goes to zero i like this is a riskier one than, than usual but i will say i love this space i love this space of providing all the services again maybe it's personal just because i feel mm. the pain but providing all the like there there is stuff that's like so much of the back end of businesses particularly online businesses scales so well like infrastructure scales amazon like amazon scales payment scales uh real estate it we it scales to an extent for sure it scales locally right me and like 50 other people can jointly have a much nicer office than any one of us can have on our own, mm, right? And, and that's what WeWork is providing. WeWork is aggregating all of us together. This isn't quite aggregation theory, but they're combining us all together to get that sort of scale. And so I love the concept. I love to see more businesses, you know, or I love to see these businesses expand. I mean, Stripe providing the all of your financial services for a small, medium business is so compelling to me. Uh, and- I, it's it's funny it's it's not just from the business perspective and it's not just a, that it's interesting this is just one of these things where it's like this is the power of the internet to really yes to change the world right you are empowering individuals so you don't need in the same way that you don't need to be the 10,000 person organization in order to build a data center you can be three people with a great idea and you can just spin the damn thing up with a credit card it's now like that with payments I I mean my sister started up um she started up a jewelry store and she's based overseas and she wanted to incorporate it in America. And I'm going to give her a small plug, Adorn Mon. Check it out. It's awesome. <laughs> I'll but, put the link in the show notes. Yeah, awesome. Um, but it, she, the pain that she went through in terms of getting it incorporated and getting the bank account and I, and I, and she's, she's like living the dream, like a one person, like pulling together all these resources to make it happen. And the pain she went through to make this happen. And then you see something like, atlas emerge and you're like oh my gosh this is just this is the promise of these services are represent the promise of the internet to empower people to do creative brilliant things without needing to be part of this organization with all the bureaucracy because you can just stick in your credit card details and you stood up and then you get to focus on the thing where you differentiate the comparative advantage as you called it you can focus on that compelling thing that you're going to bring into the world as opposed to all the crap that doesn't really matter 
this is why and this it's it's so spot on. This is why AWS and Stripe and WeWork and these sort of companies are so important because we've talked about how the changes in globalization and the internet are are hurting people and they're losing jobs just like the automation of farm equipment when 98% of people were farmers was really bad for employment. Mm. But what happened was the enablement of new kinds of jobs that no one in an agrarian society could have imagined were now viable in a way they weren't before thanks to industrialization. And this is this is the promise of the internet and this is something that we we uh, everyone who's involved in this should point to these companies and why they're so important is your sister I was like, that's fine for Ben, right? Ben has a job that didn't exist before. Great. What about the rest of us? Well, that's fine for James's sister. She has a job no before. This list, like we've talked about this, like this this list keeps getting kind of slowly but surely, it's getting longer and longer. And the more that all the muck of running a business, all your sister's pain is the exact, even though what your sister does is completely different than what I do, our pain in incorporating and opening mm-hmm. a bank account was identical. Right. And and how much of business is like that? And if and, and it's not just that the pain goes away, it's that the skills that are necessary to be an entrepreneur, to open your own business, are dramatically narrowed. Right? right. I mean, I, I when I got started, I needed to be able to build my own website and I needed to be able to incorporate I had Stripe, but I had to incorporate the membership system. It was a big pain. Like I needed some level of like technical ability and like business vague sort of business sense to get it off the ground. Like now, that's that's getting narrowed, right? And I can't wait till there's a day when any writer can just walk up and all he has to do is just yeah. sign up, and boom, all the infrastructure is already there. Right. And yes, does that mean he's going to succeed? Of course not. You still have to succeed by building an audience, having differentiated content, so on and so forth. But But he's got a chance. He's got a chance. Right. And how many more people don't have a chance, not because they're not capable, but because there's too much other stuff they have to deal with? I I mean – it's 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 the perfect question like the artist or the 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 fashionista or the writer or whatever the, these people are how many how many people were farming 400 years ago and were vastly talented and could have done something else but we never found out or discovered because they were on the yeah, damn farm it's, it, it's it's like the uh, it's it's eliminating wasted human potential that's what's so cool about all these services when you step back and roll it all up it's about there's all this human potential going to waste and it's we're we're wasting less and less of it because these these folks are able to focus on the things that they do best because the 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 bar to, to start is being lowered and it's making it easier for them to get into it and we're like, I'll say it again. I'll say it every episode. Like I grew up in the industrial Midwest. Like I under, I, I'm not trying to minimize the pain of these changes. They're very real. And I know this sound. And so forgive me for this sounding callous, but like how many, how much potential was on a factory line putting widgets together? And yes, it's painful that that job is gone now. And unfortunately there's kind of probably going to be this lost generation. And and again, I'm not, I'm not saying to minimize it at all. And this is what makes this debate so fraught and difficult. But if you back up and look over the scope of human history, uh, like it's hard to argue that we're not inexorably moving in a better direction. And, and 
it it's on us mm. as an industry, it's on us as a society mm. to ease this transition so that people don't feel left behind and people do feel not just that they have their needs taken care of, but they feel valued as humans and right. and they have their dignity. Um, and absolutely, we need to do that, but we, that, that we don't need to turn back. No, I, I think you, this this right here is striking at the heart of of what's happening with the political climate in the U.S. right now. It's it's uh, this is the people are feeling the pain, and uh, if if we don't deal with it well, there is a risk that we do turn back, or at least turn back for a, a long period, because um, this is the dislocation, and these people don't feel valued. They don't feel like there's any hope, and. That's that's the flip side of this coin. It's it's like yes, there are some fantastic things, uh, but there's going to be pain in in getting them evenly distributed. What is it? I, I want to quote that that um, that quote again. The future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we will um, probably not talk to you next week, uh, but hopefully, hopefully soon after that. Good best best of best of luck for you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I will talk to you. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. So I didn't mean to be so abrupt at the end. I, I just like, no, it's, I, I'm like, I there was, there was no, there, there was no segue to, you know, I'm like, so I, so we were saying goodbye. So.